inside In the darkness is the light Out of the shadows of my life In the darkness is the light Hello, welcome once again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Kathy. I'm Emily. And I'm Kat. We're very happy to be back recording after our little holiday break. Tonight we are talking about uh, Season 2, Episode 21, Production Episode 221, which is Roswell. General thoughts on this one? Good alien episodes. Well, I guess there were alien episodes in Season 3, but they weren't connected to the the alien myth arc were they and there's one more left in this season but it's confusing and we'll get to that later yeah is there hmm. oh yeah uh, i guess there is a little <laughs> bit in uh transplant right 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 uh, yeah i guess that counts well you know it seemed inevitable to me that so we would do an episode about roswell because i don't know if you guys remember but around the turn of the millennium there was a lot of hot speculation about the roswell incident in pop culture. I don't know if it was an anniversary or if it was just because of a general interest in alien conspiracy stuff at the time. X-Files was really popular at the time. Still uh, the movie men in black had come out a few years before that was popular. So there was just a Xenon girl of the 21st century. Sure. You could throw that in there if you wanted to. (laughs) Also the show Roswell. Oh yeah, that too. (laughs) All these things were going on around the same time. So there was a lot of interest and speculation about this. And so it definitely was something that was in So Weird's, so Weird's Wheelhouse. So Weird's Wheelhouse. Yeah, I think I said that right. But what's interesting is um, not too much of this episode actually takes place in Roswell. No. Uh, the intro is pretty interesting. It's different from all the others because there's no uh, narration by fee. It's just a black and white type of footage of this incident that happened with uh, someone working at the Air Force and he has the wreckage in a box and he's showing his son and it's glowing and then he gets a phone call from his I don't know someone higher up saying whatever he saw like can't talk about it and all that. Yeah I actually like that opening a lot Uh, it's sort of it's kind of it's almost spooky yeah, I like it. A lot. It's one of my favorite openings, and one of the reasons why is because watching it as a kid, I was convinced it was real. And the black and white <laughs> yeah, me too. To do with it. <laughs> if it was in black and white, I thought it must be real. This must be documentary footage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never really noticed that you could actually hear the voices at the end of it that uh, Andrew hears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know we've mentioned before how this was a pretty low-budget show in a lot of ways, and they clearly could not afford to shoot any footage on a military base or any sets resembling a military base. They couldn't do a hangar full of alien spaceships, so they found an actually fairly clever way around that by focusing the episode not so much on Roswell and the military base and anything like that, and focusing more on somebody who's alive, whose life was affected by this incident which is our supporting character, Andrew, a homeless person who definitely appears to have some sort of mental disability, perhaps uh, some sort of, uh, I guess you would call him neurodivergent in modern words. Um, And basically the Phillips family kind of feels sorry for this guy and takes them, he, he wants to visit his sister in Roswell and they're passing through, or Albuquerque, excuse me, in Albuquerque, and they're passing through and they decide to take this man on the bus 
to Albuquerque so he can visit his sister. And of course, Fiona stumbles upon a mystery along the way and discovers the connection this person has to the famous Roswell incident in the 50s. And that's the plot. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next week. (laughs) And I think we've mentioned before, um, the only person in the family who really objects to taking this Andrew person onto the bus with him is Jack. Um, and everybody else is kind of cool with it. Um, and I don't know, wh- how do we feel about that? How do we feel about Molly allowing a clearly mentally ill homeless person on a bus around her 12 year old daughter? Or are we all ca- okay with that? Was that like a good decision on her behalf? Well, she was reluctant at first. It was Fee who talked her into it with the line like, Oh, come on. We've got these big strong men to protect us. Referring to Jack and Carrie. And I always thought it was a really good thing of them to do in kind of the Disney Channel family-friendly vibe where, oh, everybody's really good at heart, kind of going along with that naive type of thinking. But I liked it. Yeah, uh, but it just, if through modernize, you can kind of think, hmm, well, maybe, you know, probably not something you should do in real life. You know, <laughs> I'm all for hoping, I'm all for helping the disadvantage, but uh, maybe don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, there are organizations that could probably have helped him mm-hmm. better than yeah. just taking him on your bus. <laughs> Take him on a little road trip. Uh, what do we all think of the character of Andrew? <sighs> well, I am not. I guess, you know, I work with people with, you know, mental illness and intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities on a daily basis. So. I don't want to like soapbox or anything, but basically since I've started working um, with these individuals, I just watching, you know, any portrayal of a person with intellectual disabilities, it's, it's, it makes me cringe a lot of the times. So yeah. 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 The neurologically disadvantaged are not uh, portrayed well, most of the time in media. Yeah, and I feel like this, what they did here, it, it didn't do the population that I work with any favors, I guess, um, just because the story, in the story, we're, you know, ultimately meant to pity this man, I feel like. Um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of development, obviously. And so, because it's just a 30-minute episode, I understand that, but I don't know. I guess I can't watch this episode without cringing now, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, it's not too bad, I think. I've seen much worse. You know, this this bumps just... I mean, there's kind of a term, you know, of the the magical mentally ill person, uh, the person who, you know, has some sort of developmental disability, and this gives them, oh, uh, a, you know, bright-eyed, childish view on the world that lifts everybody's spirit, and that's a really dehumanizing and insulting uh, portrayal, I think. And this episode, uh, Andrew is almost literally magical, <laughs> yeah. Uh, though it, it's not too terrible. Uh, I, I've seen much, much worse portrayals of situations I, I, like this. I, I will yeah. agree with you on that. And ultimately, this is not something that I blame so weird for. Like I said, it's a societal issue. Um, you know, it's a Hollywood issue. So I've actually never really thought of Andrew as a person with disability. I've always thought of him as somebody elderly and confused especially since he's been walking around his whole life, believing that he's hearing voices more along the lines of somebody with schizophrenia who with it. So I kind of know what that's like to be with somebody dealing with that. 
But I always yeah. saw him more as elderly and confused than disabled. Well, you know, they kind of do both because he's clearly hearing voices. He talks about how he's hearing voices, but at the same time, he refers to his father as, you know, daddy. He has a very simple um, childlike way of referring to people that I think hints at or points at some sort of he's meant to be developmentally delayed. Yes. <laughs> trying, trying not to step on any toes this week, by using picking my language very carefully. No, it's okay. It's yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think of that scene towards the end where Carrie is trying to talk him back to coming to his sister's house? Well, it's trying to be a tearjerker and uh, how it, how much it works. I think just depends totally on, uh, how I'm feeling at the time. The, the last time I watched this episode, I thought it was a bit mawkish, but since, you know, I'm almost 30 now and everything makes me cry, uh, that actually, you know, kind of got to me this time. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I like what he says um, about Clue when he's talking to Andrew. And, you know, he says that he has a younger brother and if something ever happened to him, he'd, you know, feel terrible. I can't remember what it was. I thought that was kind of sweet. Me too. That's one of my favorite lines in this episode. Yeah, and I feel like they do a pretty good job of um, telling a complete story in a half an hour here. There aren't too many hanging plot points left with this one, except for the big one, which I'm sure we will talk about soon. Yeah, the alien part of the episode. Uh, the really interesting scene was when they're taking Andrew back to his sisters. They're on the bus and Molly is sleeping. And she starts dreaming and uh, she dreams of, well, first she sees Andrew's face. It's like it triggers her to dream of uh, an alien hand and touching her hand, I'm assuming. And then the alien hand shows like a little hologram of Rick. Yeah, that uh, I actually like that little dream sequence, kind of uh, some light David Lynch seasoning over our so weird there. And um and yeah, and of course that builds to the later, the conclusion of the episode where Fiona makes contact with the alien, sort of, kind of. Well, the alien makes contact with her. Yeah, you know, uh, they experience some missing time, which I thought was a nice little touch there. And, well, we see, you know, obviously, I don't know who, what actor or stagehand was playing that alien hand there, but he got a lot of, lot to do in this episode. Yeah, and, and, you know, I guess we should, should we go ahead and talk about, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, the alien myth arc, the whole episode, the whole series was building towards that would have been expounded on more in the legendary Unmade Season 3. Yeah, it bothers me so much that we never got a follow-up, because also something that we didn't mention was that Andrew was sort of hearing voices, and that the device that he had been holding, that he had taken out of the box all those years ago, heard an alien translator. So as you spoke into it in English or whatever other language, it would speak your words back to you in an alien language. It bothers me so much that we never got to see that device put to use. Yeah. yeah we, we never find out what the whereabouts of it is. Just, yep. just, just at the end there when the aliens visit her and the alien says she is almost ready. Yeah. I think it was going to be put to use in the plot arc. Um, I can pull up the document. No one has it on hand. The uh, John Cooksey lost notes, the secret key <laughs> to understanding all the stuff throughout season two. Yeah, there was going to be, uh, I think, a two-part alien, you know, two alien episodes within the season three that was planned. 
And I think they were going to use the translator. Tad Raxel was going to plug it into the computer somehow. <laughs> literal <laughs> universal gateway. Yeah. Does and the then, translator have a USB drive on it somewhere? And we just <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we'll we'll just talk about this more when we get into the season three that could have been because it's a little wordy and confusing. Okay. These notes. <laughs> but uh, I just I just have one question. You know, Molly has that dream sequence and she sees Rick. It was Rick like abducted by aliens at one point in his life? Is it was that ever answered? No, it was supposed to be like there was be on every planet. Right. Rick was supposed to be the one to save Earth, and then it fell to Faye going to help her discover the truth about her father. If I'm okay. remembering correctly. All right, I knew it was something like that. I, I do remember that bit about there being a, uh, a f- sort of a. F- alien equivalent to Fiona on the alien world, which is one of the the tidbits from the unmade season three that I honestly, I, I'm not a super huge fan of because I just generally am not a fan of chosen one story arcs. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, wow. Whew, that's crazy. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they had Molly uh, have that dream instead of Fee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does that mean? And, I mean? and that, and also connecting to that, uh, I don't know if that makes Molly like, want to believe all this Roswell stuff when uh, she and Fee are, have the books and they're talking about it and Molly's like, oh, you never know. Well, on one hand, I really like that scene because I like to see everybody bonding with Fiona over weird stuff for once. On the other hand, I, I wish they had given Jack's skepticism a little more room. I mean, I know the kind of show this is. They're not really going to give us a skeptical reading of what happened in Roswell, but uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, if you do the reading, there is actually a perfectly logical explanation for every weird thing people report in connection with Roswell. Uh, there's a wonderful Skeptoid. There's a wonderful podcast called Skeptoid that explains it all. Look that up. <laughs> um, yeah, but it is sort of interesting that for once, everybody is kind of with Fiona on this one, except for Jack, of course. <laughs> and going back to that dream, I think it also ties in of Molly being able to sense things before they happen, going into her witch ancestry. Mm-hmm. That would have been followed up with and developed more in season three. Yeah, I mean, I can only assume that's what that means. Yeah, so lots of crazy mythology stuff in this episode and some decent continuity bits. You know, obviously Rick has mentioned uh, in the first scene, I think, Fiona says she has a picture of her dad in her wallet, which is cute. And then the end of the episode, Jack is emailing Gabe again. So some nice little callback to previous episodes there. Oh, and the people that wrote this episode was Andy right. Bushell, I think, and Jim Prater. And they also wrote the Listen episode. And um, according to IMDb, they also wrote Lost, apparently. Yeah. So, interesting they wrote the one of the other Alien episodes. Yeah, and the episode was directed by uh, Rick Stevenson, who did Memory, as well as Troll. So, we also have another one of the Alien episodes there. And in Listen, at the end of the episodes, the aliens, yeah, they say something, which is Listen. And then at the end of this one is when they say they're, she is almost ready line. Yeah, it's all this all this building up for something we never get to see the resolution for. <laughs> I know, it's so frustrating. It still bugs me about in Listen that B tells us that, oh, they want us to listen to them. So it's like, okay, we're listening so weird, and then we never get a resolution <laughs> of the story arc. 
Well, you know, like so many things with this show, it's frustrating. And I, I got to say, like of the Mifars, I actually I've talked about this before. I really like alien and UFO stuff as kind of a idea. You know, I enjoy reading about that stuff. I don't take any of it really seriously, but it's fun. But in So Weird, I've always kind of considered it my least favorite of the ongoing story arcs because it's just seems to the one seems to be the one that they kind of was making up as they went along the most. <laughs> They have a, a UFO in their intro that's not in any of the episodes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just pointing that out. <laughs> you know, that along with the running ghost lady, those are the two uh, weird little bits in the opening credits that don't amount to anything. Um, some good uh, Jack and Carrie moments in this episode. I love the scene of them playing the video games in the hotel room, <laughs> and they didn't realize that they'd been playing for four hours. I, I really love cute. that scene. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's a cute little bit of comic relief. Though, once again, I'm not entirely sure the people writing the show understood how video games work. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that bit of music they play during the montage. It's got kind of a boozy saxophone on it and sort of a yeah, weird synth like thing. 90s detective vibe type of music yeah, it totally sounds like stock music from like a 90s cop show and i love it and they play it again over the end credits that was nice in fact you should see if you can isolate that and have that be the outro music Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of music i don't know if we mentioned this earlier but uh you can hear the strange geometry music in this episode when can they you? yeah they have the dream sequence mm. oh really yep or maybe it's at the end. Either it could be both. Maybe at the end. A little da 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 that, that noise. Is that exactly how it goes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, so you know, overall I, I enjoy this one. You know, it's not a fave or anything, and there are some things about it that are a little frustrating. Like um I said earlier, Jack is the only one who's skeptical of the whole Roswell incidents place in pop culture. And yet at the end of the episode, he's the one who basically sees a flying saucer um, experiences missing time. Never mentions this at all. Once again, Jack's arbitrary skepticism. <laughs> it was but, just um, a super bright light, you know, that made a logical explanation there. Super bright light that made him lose a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, is everybody like, how does everybody else generally feel about this one? I mean, like I said, it's, I like it, but it's not a favorite or anything, but it's, it's a decent, so weird episode. I wonder why uh, the So Weird writers decided to take the Roswell episode. Like, Why did they decide to have it be about Andrew who has an illness instead of some other route that they could have taken? Uh, it seems like very like kids, would they like the episode? Would they really understand it much? I don't know. It's a good question. But I do like Roswell and the alien arc, so... It's not in my top, top five, but it's up there. I mean, just last episode, we were talking about how this is a show that had a weird, weird, vaguely menacingly sexual fish man episode in it. So really, so weird was just doing all sorts of weird shit. You know, everything was just going over the seven-year-old's heads. Emily? Oh, uh, what, our general thoughts? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, do you like this episode? Well, I feel like this was an episode I liked maybe a few years ago and now it's just I don't really enjoy watching it. Um I think one of the things I kind of find a little hard to believe is the fact that Andrew 
had this box with him. I mean, he would kind of talk to it, right? And he said he was hearing voices. And I'm sure he was very protective of it because obviously his dad was like, about this, blah, blah, blah. But his sister never got that box from him and, like, looked into it in any way. Yeah, or all the, the doctors that saw him. Because Fee figured it out really quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes five minutes. It takes Fee five minutes to figure out something people have been wondering about for forty, fifty years at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where suspension of disbelief comes in. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I do like that it's a translator, though. I thought that was kind of cool. And they do mention that Andrew's been in and out of uh, mental health facilities for a long time. So yeah, it probably should have come up at some point. Um, and I do want to mention that actor playing Andrew, that's Tom Heaton, who is a bit part character actor who's been working since the 60s. He's been in a lot of stuff. Guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, the original April Fool's Day, The Boy Who Could Fly, The Fly 2, the original It TV series, all sorts of stuff. Um, lots of television, Highlander, The New Adams Family, The Outer Limits, stuff like that. Still working, I think. I think he was in an episode of The X-Files, too which is where I recognized him. Um, he looking... had a bit role in that too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's mostly what he's done. Yes, he was on two episodes of the X-Files, uh, Shadows and War of the Coprophages. What do you Are... think, Kat? I like this one. It's not one of my favorites, but I do think it's probably my top alien episode. Just because I really love the history behind Roswell, and I love that the opening feels like a historical segment. Yeah, I like that too, though. Um, I kind of agree with, uh, well, I think it was Kathy who said that I would have liked to have gotten a little bit more of Roswell stuff. But at the same time, I, I also like that they took a different route. They didn't do the typical kind of government cover-up conspiracy thing. I mean, a little bit. But um, they sort of do their kind of a smaller scale, more personal take on it, which I thought was an interesting idea. Yeah, it would have been hard to act like this episode was set in Roswell anyway, because it's Roswell's in the desert. <laughs> so I've actually driven through Roswell before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we were just driving through and I was young, so I didn't have any say in what we got to do or anything. But um, all I remember is that the Walmart had aliens on the windows. Like, yeah. That's, that's yeah, it. I think it's like a small town and the, everything is alien. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been. I really want to go. I want to go to Roswell and I also want to drive, you know, down the alien highway and visit the little alien and uh, the black mailbox and all that. You know, as, as a, a kid in the 90s, I was like Fiona. I was always reading about this stuff. So I would really like to visit it, even though nowadays I know that, you know, it's all pretty much nonsense, but I would still <laughs> like to see that stuff. So, anything else we want to talk about <laughs> concerning this episode? Are we all done with this one? Uh, just one other small thing I noticed was that uh, Fee mentioned a Grandpa Will, which I think is the first rest reference we've ever had to him. He was actually Rick's dad. Um, which I thought was cool. He's out there That's somewhere. <laughs> Somebody put together the uh, Phillips family tree at some point. You know, the, <laughs> the Onus family tree. Yeah, it was actually in the uh, John Cooksey FAQ. He said, oh, oh Will is, I just, I still have the FAQ up from earlier. Will is reclusive and private and lives in Florida. 
which is a nice there way of saying it's unimportant and we're never going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we want to give ratings on this one? Sure. Okay, I would probably give it a seven. Right in the middle for me. Yeah, I'll give it a seven too. Me three. Uh, I'll just give this one thumbs down. <laughs> nearly unanimous and then Emily just has to screw it all up uh, you're such a contrarian <laughs> sorry guys it's not that bad but I don't enjoy it anymore so we've been away for a while do we have any feedback or anything else we want to talk about yes we have a lot of feedback oh boy get your bingo pieces ready <laughs> this is where you know our podcast is actually like maybe 25 minutes and then the other 20-30 minutes is feedback <laughs> Uh, yeah, so our, yeah, our last episode that uh, we posted was Fathom. So for that one on Twitter from Kelly, uh, she said, Come on, guys. Fathom is not one of the worst episodes of the first two seasons. As you mentioned, there's Avatar and Cringe Shelter. Okay. Well, that's her opinion. <laughs> And she's welcome to it. Uh, and shelter is coming up, so I guess we'll we'll be talking about that soon. Um, yeah, I don't like shelter either, but it doesn't make me feel like ill watching it, <laughs> which is how Fathom makes me feel at times. So that's why I think Fathom's the worst. I, yeah. I suspect we may have a lot of feedback along that lines. We <laughs> do have Fathom feedback. So our uh, continuing on our forum, uh, this is from. Kayla, I think that's how you say it. Um, she said, I actually like Fathom. Sure, it's flawed as hell. Lau's creepy behavior and Molly's seeming lack of agency, the lack of fee, the story's very rushed, etc. But as a merfolk fanatic, I really appreciate the twist of having a seductive merman for a change instead of the usual sexy, siren-like mermaid. We can always use more mermen. Ooh, merfolk fanatic. That's cool. The Merman Coalition uh, is letting their voice be known. <laughs> <laughs> I salute you, Merman fan. <laughs> I hope uh, you saw The Shape of Water. I haven't there... seen it yet. No, I really I haven't either because it. it hasn't come to my theater. No, <laughs> same. I haven't seen it either, but I just would have expected you all to go by now. <laughs> Well, it, it's, playing, it's playing at a theater about uh, 90 minutes away from me, and I've been debating whether or not I want to drive that far just for a movie. I probably am going to. I heard it's really good. Yeah. And the, re the romantic relationship is really good as well. Yeah, I'm very excited to see the film. And that has nothing to do with our feedback there. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming if this person is a merman fanatic, they uh, will be excited for that movie as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then from the Boss Applesauce, they said, eh, honestly, Fee probably needs enough therapy after some of her experiences without adding directly seeing her mom be abused in one way or the other to the list. It's better having Jack be the hero for this episode, in my honest opinion. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I, I agree. <laughs> I don't know. Did we say something about that? Uh... I think... I don't know. I think we just said that Fee wasn't in the, or she didn't have a big role. Oh, I think we got remember. So from on YouTube, from Finding Bug Lantis, they said that was a dot 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 weird episode. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> Try the veal. Dip your waitress. <laughs> and then from uh, Melissa, she said, I need to rewatch the opening montage of this episode now. LMAO, I agree that this is a terrible episode. I don't think it's the absolute worst, but it definitely ranks in my bottom five. As for the hypnotic powers Lao has over Molly, it specifically reminds me of how vampires compel humans in the Vampire Diaries universe. If no one has seen that, basically the vampire makes eye contact and tells the human what to do, how to feel. The person being compelled never sh knows they were compelled unless they die and become a vampire, or unless the vampire who compelled them is killed. Any fans uh, of that show here? Um, no. no, I haven't seen it. Nope, me neither. Okay, and this is from Winter's Angel 6302. I personally do not like this episode, and the only reason I actually pay any attention to it is because I love Mackenzie, and Molly is actually my favorite character on So Weird, following closely by Fee. I've never liked this episode because Lau was always so creepy and I hated that he basically cast a hypnotic spell on Molly because she definitely was not herself. Seems to be in agreement with us on that one, yeah. <laughs> um, this is from the GSTV reviewer. Just rewatched that, that episode. It was painfully obvious he manipulated her, yet Lau never got his comeuppance. Comeuppance, yeah. Comeuppance. <clears throat> if I were Molly, I would have rescued Jack and given him CPR right away. The fact she gave Lau the benefit of the doubt at the end feels strange. Yeah, just the weirdest scene in the whole show, in my opinion. And from Pelin the Blue Sky, they said, I am so happy to have found this podcast. I remember being in fifth grade waiting for new episodes to air. I believe they aired on Mondays. Yay for my random memory. I've always been a serious, intense person, and I really appreciate and connect to the overall demeanor of the series. The characters have so much depth, and I respect their strong family bond. Fee was always my hero, and I love how she stays true to herself. So Weird will always be truly valued to me and will remain as one of my top favorite TV shows. I also loved how you mentioned Are You Afraid of the Dark and Hey Arnold during this episode, which are another two of my favorites. As far as this episode, I can actually remember watching it with my parents back in the day, and they thought Lau was a creeper too. Thanks so much for these episodes, and I look forward to them. Oh, yeah, you know, they're so weird, fan. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the feedback. And um, I have two questions. Uh, first off, is her username a U2 reference? Is that like a riff on Bullet the Blue Sky? And secondly, um, can anybody collaborate with what night of the week So Weird aired on? Because I, I don't... I, I'm pretty sure it was okay. Mondays. <clears throat> yeah, there yeah. are promos, and I think most of the time it says Mondays in the promos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I hope you like this episode as well. Okay, I think I got all the Fathom stuff out. <laughs> okay, and uh, this one. We're all so eager for... to talk about that episode. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this one um, on our forum is from Questions, and it is for the episode Troll. They said, I've fallen so behind listening to these podcasts, but I just listened to this one. I grew up in Minnesota, so I've always loved Troll. From experience, the weirdly named dishes Ned orders are loot fisk. You might as well just drink straight up lie. Caught lamy dill sauce. I can't say any of these. Boiled lamb in a dill sauce. Uh, rag broad. Basically a nice rye bread and gravid lox. Usually pronounced gravlox. It's a salt curds, um salmon. 
Oh, that doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm great at saying these names, but Ned's Swedish pronunciation ain't so hot. <laughs> Glad to know I'm not alone on wanting the rest of Molly's story about her and Rick ordering food. And I still quote um, Astrid's line, Summerton's on the boil. I think I said that right. And no one ever has any idea what I'm talking about. Good times. <laughs> well, that that is some excellent feedback there. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've started saying my stars and garters sometimes, which I know isn't, <laughs> you know, exclusive to this show, but definitely I say it because of this show. <laughs> and this one is from Gino Cuddy on uh, the Banshee episode. They said, just watch this one. Where is uh, Kara's Emmy? A criminal injustice has been done. This episode touched me as as I lost my father and grandfather when I was six back in 2002. Hits close to home. When Fee screams at the Banshee at the end, I was right there with her. Eerily enough, I'm half Irish. I'm also of Italian and Scandinavian descent, if that matters. Great episode. I put this one over Rebecca. I know that will cause controversy, but this one just affected me more. By the way, would love to interview you guys sometime on my show. Please let me know if you're interested. Thanks and stay weird. Sure. I love to talk about myself. (laughs) (laughs) On Facebook, um, Andrea, she said, great review. Personally, I agree with the other fans who say they liked Fathom. You are right. There are definitely strong parallels between this episode and Siren, and I think Molly was definitely supernaturally enchanted by Lau in a similar way that Carrie was by Callie. Did you notice that when Jack reads up on Merfolk, it says on the computer, it said that few humans can resist the spell of their Merfolk, which is powerful and overwhelming. I think that, coupled with Molly's own longings, is what drew her to Lau. And I didn't get the feeling that he was evil, just lonely, like Molly. He probably came on strong because he has so little time before he had to return to the ocean. Do any of you realize that the song Origami does a great job of foreshadowing the inevitable doom of the Molly-Lau relationship? (laughs) Of course, it's a 20-minute show and it needs to continue, so Molly's not going to go off into the ocean with him. But if we had no way of knowing better... We could rely on the song. When Molly says the secret to love is not origami, ain't gonna fold myself, just gonna behold myself. That hints for the purposes of this particular episode that she will not morph and change herself to be a merwoman and live out her life without. She will continue to be her hold herself as a career rock star and mother that she is, and she will move forward with that life. No one should have to change who they are to receive and keep someone's love. <sighs> Hell yeah. Wow, that's a really deep <laughs> reading a, of that. Yeah, it was a really good analysis. Yeah, and of course, always, thank you so much for the continued support, Andrea. Yeah. I just would disagree with saying that he wasn't evil, just lonely. He, no. <laughs> well, you know, our thoughts on Fathom, I think, are well known at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that is all the feedback. All and if right. you didn't get yours, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, you can always leave us a comment and we'll hopefully get to it next time. So anything else you want to talk about? Why we were gone over the holidays? Uh, I went on vacation to Disney World. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I wore my So Weird shirt and I got one comment on it by a cast member, which means someone who works at Disney. Yeah, they said they loved it, so that was pretty exciting. Cast member of the Expedition Everest ride, I am giving you a shout-out. You were awesome. 
<laughs> so when you say cast member, were they like in character or anything, or were just like a, a regular employee type, type person? They they all wear outfits, but yeah, it was just he, um, you know, put people in their their lanes or you know what I mean, their rows for the ride. Okay, so so, so yeah. it wasn't like somebody dresses Aladdin or something was shouting no, on no. show. So weird. <laughs> no, they're they're all just called cast members. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All the employees. Well, that's cool. Do we want to talk about mm-hmm. the uh, Disney buying Fox, 20th Century Fox? Do we want to mention that at all? You know, the further, the upcoming corporate oligarchy we'll soon all be living under? <laughs> no? Okay. Want. <laughs> <laughs> you want. You guys don't see that interest, so we won't. <laughs> well, no, no. It's just too much for me to take in. I think, um, like, I don't even realize what exactly they have the rights to now since they they got they bought Fox. Um, but I just realized the other day that Buffy was actually now owned by Disney. And, uh, well, uh, I've read conflicting reports about whether or not they, that the film, the television stuff was included at part of the steal. And when it comes to something like Buffy, that might actually be owned by like more so by the production company. I have no idea though. Um, but yeah, this is uh, obviously a huge deal. And, you know, I, I just, somebody made a list of, you know, all the, uh, this was in jest, obviously, all the characters that will be joining in the Avengers now, you know, the Fantastic Four, Wolverine, Edward Scissorhands, Mrs. Doubtfire, the aliens, you know, Planet of the Ape, Apes, all these things. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a, kind of a terrifying deal, I think, personally. I just hate the idea that we're living in a time now where corporations have so much money that they can just buy their competition. I feel like that's kind of bad overall for the film industry. And that's just what I'll say about that. But totally excited for the Fantastic Four to show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm not going to say that isn't exciting, but because um, they definitely that that's a franchise that needs to be rebooted. But uh, otherwise, I'm not too keen on this. But I think uh, I don't think anybody else has got anything else to say about that. So I wonder what this would mean for the uh, Disney streaming service. If it would have any impact on it. Now that they own all this other stuff. I have, you know, we still have so little information on that Disney streaming thing. And now I've, I've heard rumors that Disney may actually just turn, instead of pursuing their own thing, they just may turn Hulu into like a Disney, because apparently Disney has some sort of stake in Hulu. Um, I have no oh idea. Gosh. It's wild. It's wild. We are living in a strange new era, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I saw a joke, I think it was on Twitter, saying how... Uh, Soon enough, we're not going to be called calling movies movies anymore. We're going to be calling them Disney's. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happened in the um, not the film, but the book uh, Cloud Atlas. In the few in the far future, all movies are just called Disney's. So, anywho, that is totally off topic. <laughs> and, uh, but as oh, always, oh yeah, something I wanted to say. Uh, yeah, for the listeners that um, keep up with their episodes, we had said that. This next episode that we were going to put out was supposed to be our uh, Q&A with Allie Marie Matheson. But um, uh, we weren't able to do that. Um, Some complications rose up. So that's going to be put on hold. Hopefully it will still happen at some point. Yeah, and I'm positive that we'll have other Q&As with other people from the casting crew. Hopefully this year. And it's January, so that can be whenever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hopefully we'll have something like that coming soon. And, you know, um, an Ali Marie interview is still a possibility. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, anything else we want to talk about? I think that's it. Okay, all right. Well, in that case, this has been the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Kathy. I'm Emily. And I'm Kat. And um, keep the faith and keep listening and keep bugging Disney. Always bug Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.